Hello, and welcome along. Welcome to the Selling on eBay radio show. We're here to save you money, to increase your sales, and to have fun. Fun. The lines are open for your calls and texts. 1-833-EBAY-723. That's 1-833-322-9723. This is Fake Announcer Guy saying here's Philip and Sherry. So it's the uh, Selling on eBay radio show, the program that is all about making your eBay business more profitable and maybe a bit more fun in the process. Uh, Philip Jackson and Sherry Smith, your hosts. Uh, I'll introduce you to Sherry. She is um, based over in Colorado. She has a full-time eBay business for a number of years now. She uh, sells mostly on consignment, has an army of teenagers who come in and populate her basement on a regular basis to churn out out her goodies. Oh, they got her working overtime for the the Christmas surge. And uh, you may have even uh, bumped into her, so to speak, at the uh, recent uh, eBay open event. She did a presentation, one of those seller presentations. And I think we're allowed to possibly say now, scored herself a free expenses-paid trip to uh, to California to do the recording. So there you go. There's some inside scuttlebutt that we weren't supposed to say. Philip escaped from England in 1994, eventually settling in the swamplands of Florida. I think it might have been just to maintain his silver status with United yes. Airlines as he frequently flies back to the small island off the coast of France. And he has, what can I say? He has um, fine-tuned the art of running his full-time eBay business while on the beaches of Mexico, rigging Wi-Fi setups in the trees. There you go. That's uh, a little bit cryptic, but that's why we like it. We like to leave things hanging. And uh, if you have any uh, any need to follow up on that or indeed anything else, you can find out more about us at the show's website. That's sellsellsell.online. And coming up in today's show, Sherry, we have eBay's taking an aggressive approach to going global. And uh, we'll talk about a golden rule that eBay sets that I think can be broken. I'll tell you how I do it. Coming up. Uh, yeah, yeah, another USPS rate change. Mm-hmm, various changes in the pipeline. And uh, it looks like uh, eBay is, if you're into selling or buying auto parts, uh, is changing the way that works with uh, free returns. That could be good news if you're in that particular category. Yes, and we have an update on mm-hmm. bulk shipping and scan forms. And along a similar line, we ask, is it perhaps time uh, that you think about subscribing to a third-party service for that kind of thing, just to make your life a lot easier? All right, that's what's coming up in today's program. If you want to take part, maybe leave us a comment or a suggestion. One eight three three eBay seven twenty three is the number. Uh, we can take voicemail and text. Love to hear from you if you get a chance to contribute. Also, if you want to be on the program, always on the uh, the lookout for potential guests. Uh, please do get in touch. In the news this week from eBay, we mentioned it earlier. The uh, parts and accessories business for eBay, which is one of their focus categories, one of the ones they hope is going to print lots of money going forwards. Interesting idea that has been put out to people active in that category. I didn't get the emails, not my area of activity, but apparently they are teasing the fact that in due course, they are going to potentially offer free return shipping labels in a situation where the eBay fitment guide said a part would fit a particular vehicle, 
and maybe it didn't fit for whatever reason, eBay is going to cover the return costs if their guide is for some reason producing bad results which I think would be a very big deal because that's one of the bugbears of people who sell parts and accessories that, that, you know, they're always held financially liable when something doesn't fit. And it's cut off in a case of either the guide is wrong or the buyer is wrong. Uh, this will go a long way towards correcting that. And I think it's a good sign of eBay's commitment to all the work they're doing to try and improve uh, the fitment guides and processes that they're actually prepared to put some dollars behind it to to make it fair for people that use it. So I'm, I'm reasonably impressed with that. That's a pretty good result for sellers. So look out for that yeah. if you're in that category. Maybe it might apply to other things in, in due course as well if it's subject to something that eBay has guided the buyer towards. So it sounds like the seller needs to have the part number, which you don't always have. I know because I just sold this muffler exhaust mm -hmm. that was five and a half feet long and the shipping was $96. And I'm crossing my fingers that it does work for the person. But that would be an example of something that's not covered because I didn't have the official part number for that. So if you do have the part number for their fitment guide to even be applicable, it would have to be a buyer error, don't you think, if it I, didn't fit? I'm sure there's going to be some small print on this that – just a, oh, it doesn't fit isn't going to be good enough. I think the, they'll probably say, well, the let's say the buyer should have created a garage entry for that vehicle with the VIN number or whatever they use to, to, to identify the actual all the mechanicals of the vehicle, that they bought the item having used the fitment guide and it confirmed that that was the part that it recommended and indeed that the part numbers match. There's probably a bunch of stuff like that to make sure that uh, it is genuinely picking up errors in the fitment, ca fit fitment guide rather than just generally people not being able to monkey wrench things together properly. Um, but anyway, even so, I I'm sure there'll be some, some weasel words, but I, I do think it's a good step forward. And I think that's a good direction of travel for eBay to help financially when something doesn't go quite as planned and it really isn't perhaps the seller's fault. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great, great offering. Go on. Yep. So I, I, anyway, anything else about that before I move no, into... No, let's, let's, uh, let's just chug on forwards. Okay. So the USPS is touting their, have some rate decreases with priority mail. And I've noticed that. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you have. So I'm in Colorado and I've noticed going to Texas, Oregon, Washington, even California, hmm. it's cheaper for a pound or less priority mail not to be in a padded flat rate envelope. This is my very unscientific observation. Is that printing through the eBay label print workflow? Yes. So will that not even show up there, And this new decrease? Second question, I guess, of, of the similar line is – do you think they've now gone to using cubic pricing? Because that's typically the only way you're going to get below flat rate, padded flat rate envelope, is to go to the cubic schedule. Now, I don't, for a while, no. for up until now, at least as far as I knew, eBay said they weren't doing cubic pricing. I don't know whether that's something they plan on doing or have started to do, because that could explain why you're getting lower rates, because that's the lowest, sort of the lowest way of getting anything sent if it's small. And it would be interesting because if we go on to another thing we we're going to talk about here, 
And that is the end of the regional rate boxes, which per a filing and an application looks like they may be going away um, like in the next month or so. And it um, looks like they're kind of applying it to just regular priority. They're, it's very regional because I noticed that if it's going to the East Coast, it's about $9.67 for mm -hmm. a pound or less and going to the locations that I mentioned earlier from Colorado, it's under $8.30, sometimes under $8. Okay, interesting. Well, here's your homework <laughs> Mine? For, the, for the next program is when you print one of those labels that comes up um, cheap in your view, have a look at what rate it says on the label. It'll tell you whether it's cubic, and if it's cubic, it'll say 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3 cubic feet because the rate is a function of the... The oh, volume cool. of the package, as opposed to just commercial plus pricing or whatever it says otherwise, and that will tell you what rate table uh, it's they're applying to it. And it would be interesting news if they have uh, turned on cubic pricing, maybe just for the um, top-rated sellers or whatever. Sometimes they do things differently on eBay depending on your seller status, and it would be timely given that. By the sound of things, the regional rate boxes are going to go away in January, and cubic pricing is kind of the the workaround for that. But up until now, you haven't been able to get that on eBay. wonder if that's changing, perhaps. Okay, and another fun fact, mm. another carrier, though, is with UPS Ground, I have noticed, speaking of cubic rates, that they have a significant change when you go over 12 cubic inches with UPS. I've never noticed such a change except this week. I've been cutting boxes down just mm -hmm. to get them as close to 12 uh, cubic inches as possible. You mean one cubic feet? For one cubic yeah, foot? Yeah, something like Because the, the USPS, I think, <laughs> kicks in with dimensional surcharging above one cubic foot. So yes, if you have a yes. box that's 12 by 12 by 13 and you can scrape an inch off one particular dimension, then it was quite often worthwhile um, taking you know, taking a, a carton sizer and making it a little bit smaller to scrape in under the, the one cubic foot size. Yeah, well, and now I've noticed UPS, and I'm not sure if it's exactly a cubic foot, mm -hmm. uh, but it's pretty darn close. So that's been interesting. Well, a future project that I'll report on, I hope, in the... Uh, the weeks to come is I need to renegotiate my own shipping deal. I've been using FedEx up until now, and they've just become rather expensive relative yeah. to UPS because they're still, at least as far as my rates are concerned, uh, charging the residential surcharge. And of course, they now get no business whatsoever because everything's now pretty much switched over to UPS. But I need my own UPS deal because I, I just it's easier, and we'll talk later about why that's a that's an important thing. Um, so what I thought I'd do is I'll wait until the new pricing kicks in, which I guess is early in January, and then I'll know exactly what the rates are, at least for a, hopefully a year, rather than negotiate just before the rates change, because you always find that you, you think you have a good deal, then the rates change, and suddenly they're not quite as good as you thought you had them. So uh, that's a project for the new year for me anyway, and I'll report on um, how I've gone about that if I've been successful or why I failed if I didn't. Um, and uh, maybe we can learn something from that. So lots of things yes. happening on on uh, postage and shipping rates and stuff. Uh, but do watch out for the uh, regional rate boxes. 
going away. At least the labels will go away. You won't be able to print a label. I assume you can still use the cardboard and just pay whatever cubic or regular weight-based pricing that, that you want to anyway. But uh, you won't be able to print the label with the regional rate A or B tariff on it. Interesting. And uh, also uh, moves afoot, uh, Sherry, on the international side of things, eBay's big push to be global. Yeah, they're going to be forcing migration, but they're doing it in stages. They can only do so much at a time. So we don't know who. I haven't seen it yet. And if you already are in the global shipping program, it'll just be automatic. Mm -hmm. But if you are using eBay Standard International, you'll have to, I think, add their new service to each listing or maybe in bulk add it, which I'll have to do for sure. But I haven't seen it or been offered it. So they're forcing it, but they're forcing it in stages, maybe to newer sellers first to simplify things for new sellers. Yeah, people do be reporting on the discussion boards they find themselves with international orders, even though they thought uh, they didn't take international orders. And, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think international business is a good thing. Um, and and it's funny because you don't, if you haven't lived in a different country, you don't know how hard regular stuff is to get, uh, particularly if you're, yeah. you like American stuff and you're living in a different country. It is really, really hard to get, I don't know, Levi jeans or Mount Jemima's syrup or whatever. All these things that people ask you to bring when you travel abroad, those are the funny little things that you can't get in those countries. And you would happily pay twice or more the going rate in the U.S. to receive them overseas because it's worth it to you. So, Philip, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. They're forcing migration to their new yes. international program where they take care of returns? Yes. And their okay. argument, I'm sure, would be, as far as, Mr. Seller, you are concerned, it's a domestic transaction. Nothing has changed. It's no different than selling to a member of the public who happens to live in Kentucky or wherever they get sent to. It's no different to you. So, so why worry about it? Let us that's handle great. it. That's great. So that's one argument. On the other hand, it's a little sneaky. I think, not even just to send a note saying, oh, congratulations, you've been selected to join the new program and you can look forward to you know, more sales and greater profits going forward. And by the way, we'll be handling any returns or disputes or anything on your behalf, unlike your regular business where you have to worry about that stuff. That's not that, you know, it would be not a difficult letter to write. And I don't think many people would say, oh, that's terrible. But I think just finding out when you get your first order is... I don't know. It's not the way I think things should be run. Yeah, that's too bad because I do like eBay's transparency. And I told them that on a a call ah, um, that I like mm -hmm. that they don't just control things. They let you know what's happening. So I, it's too bad that they didn't let them know. Okay. So if, you, if you've been um, caught up in this one way or the other and have experience of uh, – uh, doing or not doing the international thing via the new system. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, just You can leave us a voicemail. We can follow up with you. Uh, the number's 1833-EBAY-723, uh, or you can send a text to that number also. Uh, and we look forward to uh, to hearing from you. Okay, let's move on to something else here. Now, you know, generally speaking, eBay, there are certain golden rules regarding how you organize your listing, and eBay hammers them home all the time and says, do not under any circumstances do this. It will harm your listings and harm your sales. 
I've been kind of pushing the boundary a bit on some of these things. So I'm thinking, well, does it really work like that? And one of the ones that does strike me as, as fertile ground for experimentation is the no overlays, or no text overlays rule. You know what people put? USA seller, same day shipping, free shipping, five star seller, blah, 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 you know, in the graphic of their main image and try and use that to sneak by some additional selling points that aren't in the, the listing title. And I have a problem because I'm trying to sell a whole bunch of refurbished stuff for, I don't know, maybe $800 that other people would be happy to get 80 for. So there's quite a big premium I have to justify, and there's only so much you can get into a title to communicate that kind of differential. So I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could sneak some messages into the first image uh, in a way that didn't break the rules and that could communicate the things that I've done to make that extra amount of money worth it? I'm intrigued. Uh, well, I mean, I won't. We're not here to publishize my store, but you, if you want to see either of our stores, you can, you can look it up. the The website's got links to both our stores. That's at sell 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 dot online, and you'll you'll perhaps see what I mean. So, okay. So the challenge was to try and come up with a way of sneaking through some marketing messages in the first image in a way that doesn't fall foul of either eBay's algorithm or perhaps more significantly Google's algorithm, because that's the the one the guys you don't want to upset. And it's Google. It's more of a Google rule than an eBay rule. And I tried a few different approaches. Now, the advantage is that I have my own Google advertising account because all my stuff also goes into a web store. So I get a, I get a report every morning of anything that Google's kicked out. So I can react fairly quickly. And I know exactly what it is that, that's happened to an image or a listing that's been rejected. So it enables me to, to test out different ideas fairly easily and to know exactly what I've done or wrong, right, right or wrong. So what I found was having tried different formulations, and now first of all, let me just say, don't try this at home unless you want to risk damaging your business. But if you're willing to try it and you're willing to keep an eye on things and make sure that you don't make things worse, um, I think it's worth a go. So what I found was that if I had big text, large, you know, in the frame, kind of away from the focal point of the image, kind of at the top or the side, with lots of white space in it or around it and between that and the subject. It would detect that quite comfortably and say that's that's not allowed. As you sneak it more towards the item and kind of blend it in a bit with the image, the, the bot then kind of gets confused and can't tell the difference between your text and what's actual subject matter. And that's the gray area where you can sneak things through. So I've had pretty good luck putting like, you know, colored boxes with say blue text on a yellow yellow box or, you know, red on a on a, a gray or something like that and kind of merging that with the image, maybe tucking it behind an image or putting it in front of an image, which folks, if you're using image editing, does mean using layers. I know that's a bit scary, but there we go. Um, to try and make it look as integrated as I can. And that's that's worked out pretty well. And that's, as far as I know, past muster in terms of uh, the eBay listing quality report and the Google rejection list. I've checked it against both and nothing's come back as a problem. Stuff seems to be turning up in search and best match. So wow, there you we are. Devil. So um, Very clever. It's uh, not something I'd recommend going into in a big way. Is it something you might like to test? I think it's worth an idea. Um, and it's curious, actually, we, we both, uh, ourselves and the eBay podcast, I think the most recent one, have a discussion of, of the same point. And and, and Griff uh, mentioned in his efforts to try and bottom this one out 
the his conclusion was that yes, if you put text and superimpose it slap across the the subject in the middle of the frame, it, that will get dinged. But his view was that if you moved it away from the item and kept it separate, uh, he seemed to get those those ones through. So we have we kind of similarly agree, but we've taken slightly different approaches and got kind of similar kind of results with that. So I know it's it's one of those things that they say don't do. I think with selective uh, selective control and ongoing measurement, because these things are never static. They change the the rules and the algorithms, the detection methods, so it might fall apart you know, in a, in a month's time. But right now, that seems to be working for me. Anyway, if you have any luck one way or the other, uh, do get in touch. You can just email us through the site. That's sellcellcell.online. Well, I have an update on the scan forms oh, yeah. via bulk shipping. And I started this because, as I mentioned in the previous show, that my mail carrier was only really was told that she needed to have a scam form and wasn't supposed to scan more than five packages if she's picking them up at my house. Hmm. So thanks to Scott from Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, one of our listeners walking. Thank you so much, Scott, being patient and helping me find hmm. a setting that let it sh uh, print properly on my label printer. That was one hidden thing that took both of us a while to find. I want to report that I am now successfully using bulk shipping and I just have some pointers and some hidden treasures because it's all been very ubiquitous. It, no, that's the wrong word. It's very hard mm -hmm. to even find it. First of all, um, let's start with just finding how to do bulk shipping. When you go to orders and then shipping labels, there's a little box with an arrow. Click on that. That takes you to bulk shipping. Then you need to click the box of the items you want to remove and don't want to print. They'll show up the next time you go in. Mm -hmm. So you remove the ones you're not ready to do. Uh, my other pointer is that you can select to have it print your custom label field on the label. But I also write the name of the person on the package so I can match the label correctly to the package. On Monday, I had about 45 items to ship. So there was a lot of potential to get mixed up. But um, you can do, and this is something that Scott heard on Griff's podcast, is that you can do one label through bulk shipping and then come back in and do another label but then at the end, they'll all be on your scan form. So uh, you don't have to print them all at the same time. Although once I'm there, I might as well. So I print and, as many and is at that the your same method? time as I can. Oh, okay, so you're not just doing them one by one. You're doing two or three at a go. Is that how it's working for you? I'm doing, I'm selling a lot of clothing right now. So mm -hmm. I'm doing all the clothing at once. And even if it's 30 at a time, it also is sh showing me in glaring bold letters that I am wasting my wasting a lot of time by recording the sale to my client's sheet at the time of shipping because now that I'm doing bulk shipping, I'm not doing it while the label is loading. Mm -hmm. So I now need to put on my big girl pants and I'm going to use Reseller Genie to create the report for me mm -hmm. 
And my goal is to do that by the end of the year um, because recording each sale when I'm doing bulk shipping is an obvious waste of time. Right. Okay, so that's uh, one thing that it has shown me. Um, what else? Oh, in a, in our previous show, I said that they have flat rate, but they don't give you the option for a padded flat rate envelope. Well, no, that's because you choose flat rate. Then a second menu comes up and you choose which flat rate. Okay. So just persevere, choose flat rate. I, it's just everything is non-intuitive. Mm-hmm. And then you can choose flat rate envelope, uh, padded flat rate envelope. And uh, that's what I'm doing. So that was another non-intuitive thing that I found. Let's see. Oh, here's something I love about it. And actually, this is my one of my big incentives other than making my mail carrier happy and letting getting her to pick up all my items from my porch. Um is that at the top it says combined shipments so it automatically combines shipments from the same buyer who bought multiple items separately uh-huh and previously i had to search and see if i had the same name twice anywhere that's interesting because that's a that's something i haven't seen elsewhere that it will automatically go through the open orders and group together if someone's if the same gut buyers features more than once on the list. Yes. So when I do it not in the bulk shipping area, I have to look and see if I see the same person's name twice, which gets pretty cumbersome when you have 40 sales. And then I also need to copy and paste the tracking number, go back to the awaiting shipment and paste the tracking number. Well, with bulk shipping, it combines them for you and then all of them are applied with that tracking number. Right. So that is a big bonus. Let's see if there's anything I'm forgetting. Um, that's all I can think of right now. So I really like it once you get through the maze of non-intuitive, you know, the way it works is just non-intuitive. I think one interesting thing that you mentioned was the custom message field. A lot of us use that as a way of storing our cost of goods information. We bought this at a yard sale for $1 or whatever it was, and that information goes oh, in there. And oh. anytime you use any of these things, downstream tools and systems, whether they're from eBay or a third party, that is a field you want to understand exactly how that's handled by the application because I've discovered in the past there are some out there where you cannot turn that off. That ends up either going into the order acknowledgement, the the email or the label that passes that information out to the buyer and you can't turn that off. And that's obviously, from my point of view, a deal breaker because I have all my cost of goods in there and that's not a field I really want the buyer to have to see. So yes, the fact but you can, you can choose whether it prints on your label or not. Good. If and you can and, find and that, the option. Yes, but things to beware that there's an option and to uh, make sure you have that selected right before you send out the first 200 items with your internal data pasted across the uh, the label. Very good point. All right. 
Um, very good stuff. Again, if anyone's got uh, experiences uh, of of that, or indeed another way of, of solving the the, uh, the scan form issue, be good to hear from you. I, I thought I'd chime in with what I found. It's really, I guess, a discussion about when is the business case for using a third part app, third party application for shipping, uh, prove in. I mean, I I use a, a third party app, and the problem with eBay is that its 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 heritage is as a small seller C to C type marketplace, and as you grow up in volume and complexity, it begins to kind of fall apart. In my view, it doesn't do the high volume stuff very well, and they there are some third party providers, but it's not a particularly rich environment for for third party developers. So you you kind of run into these sorts of issues. Um, I've generally gone with a third-party shipping tool, firstly because I don't really have a choice in some respects because I have a web store and I have to ship stuff out and I don't care to use the web store's interface, but I, but I, I could do it. Nothing wrong with it. It's just I like a single approach. So the third-party thing I use is ShipRush, but the ShipStation as well, I think very similar. Or you can go down to something as basic as Pirate Ship, which offers a very limited integration and limited ability to change things, but it gets the job done at a low price. And I guess the business case view is I think I pay about 30 bucks a month subscription for, for, for ShipRush. Like I say, you can use Pirate Ship for free. You don't have to pay that. And the question is, does the convenience and time-saving in terms of workflow and reporting justify the 30 bucks a month? Well, obviously, in my case, I, I think it does. And just to sort of try and explain why I think that value is generated, obviously, uh, I'm dealing with both eBay and non-eBay labels. I like the fact that I have a single interface, a single thing I have to get my head around that handles both eBay and non-eBay, and I don't really have to worry about where the order came from. And I could add other channels and put Amazon or other marketplaces in there, and it would be the same experience for me to send stuff out. I like that. Um, it's also, I think, when you when you deal with an app like that, desktop app or a web app, Sometimes third-party developers seem to understand the seller's mindset a lot better, perhaps, than our friends at eBay, but particularly at the volume end of things. They seem better at researching and being more flexible to to the needs of sellers. And um, it has also some sort of advantages in terms of this. a lot of these applications give you access to the, the cubic pricing we were talking about earlier, and I'm still not sure, convinced eBay does that at this point. And as the regional rate boxes go away, that might be what tips over the the cost-benefit analysis for you to think about maybe doing that. I, I think one of the key things is the ability to have my own FedEx or UPS account, um, which means that I can then justify a daily pickup if I get the volumes right, um, which I'm never going to get if I'm printing through eBay because they can't, in the local office, see my eBay, my, my, my volume, my, the volume of my labels, and I can't justify, they won't justify sending someone out each day because it doesn't appear on their, on their revenue stream. Whereas if I have stuff I'm sending out on my own account, I can qualify fairly easily for a, for a daily pickup at no charge. And that's, you know, saves me dri- driving off and delivering things to post offices and, uh, you know, FedEx places and things. So that's, that's worth it uh, at some point. And yes. um, the other thing I, I like particularly is a third-party app gives you the ability to customize the email that goes out when you when you ship an item. So the, the system I use gives me the ability to do HTML, add graphics. I can put a summary of the order. I can say what's in there. I can put contact information, all sorts of things in there. 
uh, and I know exactly what the letter they're going to receive. I'm not limited to whatever eBay cares to send out. And that's that's quite a nice way of, of building your brand a little bit and managing a bit better the communication between you and the end customer. What you do have to bear in mind is that because eBay is masking the buyer's email address, that message, even though you're writing it and designing it, is going to go through the eBay server to get to the buyer. So it has to comply with eBay policies. For example, you couldn't put a link to your own web store in there and say, hey, get my stuff at 10% less at my, you know, sherrystore.com because that would fall foul of all sorts of rules and you'd be in very deep water fairly fast. Uh, So just got to bear that in mind. The other thing, and and to your point, I think, is is in terms of trying to manage all this and reports and things, uh, you might find that a a third-party provider has... Um, a more sophisticated reporting system that could kick out a report every month that that itemized all the items you'd sent with the charges, any corrections, recharges, deductions, all that sort of stuff in a nice you know uh, Excel readable format that you probably wouldn't get from eBay without having to do a lot of fairly heavy Excel work on the transaction report from the the seller hub, which would be fairly oh. hard work. So. But I wouldn't expect it to have eBay's promoted listing ad fees. No. Uh, which is the thing that I need, which is what the reseller genie is, does gotcha. have. So gotcha. I'll let you know how that works. But go so, ahead. yeah. So that's, I mean, for terms of doing the, your P&L at the end of the year for taxes and stuff, uh, it might might well produce a good outcome. So to my mind, you know, the, the, the debate is, is 30 bucks a month, is that stuff worth it? I guess it comes down to you to decide whether or not it is. There are free options as well if you don't want to plonk money on the table. The problem, I think, is that what's happening, though, is that eBay is moving more towards running its own shipping operations, you know, with the Send International, International Shipping, whatever, those kind of things. And they're not going to be accessible, I don't think, anytime soon via third-party shipping solutions. So at best case, you're going to be running a hybrid where some items are going to be going, if you sell internationally, via the eBay label system. And the only way to do that is via the web interface right now. And then the stuff that's, say, domestic, you can you can print a, a thermal label using the app. So it's it's not a, a totally 100% clean solution either way. Yeah, but that is a very good point about having pickup from the other carriers that's free. So that's a good incentive if you do ship a lot with FedEx or UPS. I'm trying to think. I think the last time I, I, I did the FedEx negotiation, I think the threshold for maintaining the free pickup every afternoon was about 60, maybe 70 bucks a week, which really is like assuming that you oh, don't use, you don't use FedEx like for like two packages. Maybe. Yeah. And FedEx, you're not going to use them for probably less than five pounds anyway. So that's like one package a day they'll, they'll turn up for averaged out over over each each calendar week. So um Maybe if I renegotiate, they might change a little bit, but it, it's something like that. It's not particularly onerous, and so I, I think I'd said free. It's not. It's not free. It's seventeen dollars fifty. That's right. I, I'm, but it's, if I if I if I mit, if I come under the sixty the sixty dollars whatever it is, it's seventeen fifty a week for for pickup on on FedEx under my deal. I think that's probably a standard rate. If for some reason I don't hit that sixty dollar uh, target number, that doubles to thirty seven per week. Per week, if they turn for, up and for I for daily pickup for a daily pickup, that's five pickups. And they only come if you have generated a label. They're notified. It isn't that smart. Um, oh, so they just come every day? <laughs> well, they would come every day. Usually, what I do is maintain 
uh, a, a text number for the the regular driver, not that FedEx has anyone regular working for them. But uh, oh, really? Uh, and so I will typically send the driver a text if I don't think he needs to come anymore. I mean, I don't like dragging wow, him off. Wow, you've really got it rigged. Good for you. Uh, well, actually, it's very complicated. I wish it was simpler. And I wish it was worked the way that you said, that the system would be smart enough to know that I've issued a label since they came around last time, and they should just yeah. pick it up. But FedEx is a FedEx Ground is a little bit of a flaky organization. It, it's just a whole network of very casual sort of people on sort of very, very sort of loose contracts. It's not not as organized as UPS, and the system stack is a little bit flaky. Anyway, but that's that's the kind of how it works in reality. The good news is that by I, I found that by working with the drivers to make sure I wasn't dragging them out if I didn't have anything for them to pick up. Uh, that gains a certain amount of favour. And there's been times when it's been long past the sort of three o'clock pickup window, like 4.30, and someone orders just come in and I've been able to text the guy and say, look, is there any way, you, if you haven't left the neighbourhood, you could pick this one up? And he said, fine, I'll come pick it up. So, um, wow. you know. It, that's impressive. And that's kind of, FedEx is a very strange organisation. It is a little bit loose. Uh, but if you're prepared to put some time into getting to know the people concerned, it, it can it can work out well for you. That's that's impressive. I, I'll have to branch out beyond my USPS mail carrier. I do drive to UPS every day. See, that's I'm not, I've started doing that lately because my volume's been a bit low, and I've kind of I'm testing UPS and haven't really formalized the UPS thing. Uh, but I just feel that's dead time. I hate doing that unless I have to go yeah. out for some other reason. But it's typically. You know, three thirty, four o'clock. Try and get out before the traffic really gets bad, and it's, that's just like a half hour of my day I've wasted. Yeah, and my it's a UPS store, and they are in the funniest parking lot that they share with a Starbucks. That is very difficult to get in and out of, and there's people, including the UPS truck, with packages. It's quite hilarious how bad the parking lot is. We, I have two, depending which direction I drive. One, I have a love, sort of hate relationship with. The other guys seem much more organized. Depending on which, how the rush hour is looking, I can go left or right and go to either one. Um, but the problem, obviously, this time of year, it's packed full of people trying to get their stuff out. And yeah. the, the dilemma is then, do you wait in line just to have them scan the items in for that reassurance that you know they've scanned it? Or do you plonk it on the counter, give the guy a wave, and head out the door and hope they hope they get it right? Oh, yesterday I ran behind in front of the line of twenty people, <laughs> laid the packages to the side of the counter, and ran out. <laughs> and I've done that, and that's that's what I do. But what I found is that the one I don't like, they don't actually ever bother to scan the items when they do have a free moment. Oh, the first oh. scan is is quite a bit later in the process, so I'm like. Quite often at 8 o'clock at night when I wrap up all my email and stuff, I, I'll look and just double-check those things got scanned in. I'll see no scan. I'm thinking, do you think someone picked up my package by mistake? Why isn't it scanned? Uh, for my expensive ones, though, I do wait in line Yeah, for that, well, to, for that to watch the scan, um, get the receipt. So that's the dilemma. Um, so I don't know. I, I just hate driving to post offices and UPS places. It's just a waste of time. In my view. Well, anyway, if you have other solutions or thoughts on this and, and maybe recommendations, we, we would love to hear from you. Uh, 833-ebay-723 is the number. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about uh, unpaid items. Yes, that uh, favorite hobby horse of sellers on eBay. Okay, so Philip and Sherry clearly aren't experts. True. 
We need your help. Will you be a guest on the show? Is there something about selling on eBay that you can share? We'd like to have you join us. Contact us. www.sellsellsell.online That's www.sellsellsell.online Thank you for being part of the show. Of course, always good to hear from you. Uh, Please do get in touch if you can. And uh, moving on then, uh, we have different approaches, Sherry, to most of these uh, eBay-type matters. And when it comes to unpaid items, uh, you how, what do you do? I, for over a decade, have had it set so that eBay closes the case within four days or opens an unpaid item case automatically within four days. Okay. Cancels the sale. And then recently eBay automatically relists it for you. I have so few unpaid items because I don't have very many auctions. Mm-hmm. However, I have removed the immediate payment required on all of my listings so that I can more easily combine shipping, although it still doesn't work always. But that was the reason I removed that. So someone could actually buy something, buy another thing, and then I can send them an invoice with combined shipping. And I did that with someone who I, she communicated with me quite a bit about this older fashion jewelry that I have, which of course I will never list those items again, but I've had them listed for years. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to buy them more, you know, she was scouring my store for them. So I was thrilled about that. She bought maybe six, seven items. I sent her the combined invoice and then she didn't pay it within four days. And suddenly I got a notice, oh, these items have been relisted. So eBay ended it and relisted. And each item I gave her a special price. So I had, we had to redo all of it. I went into my settings and changed it so that eBay wouldn't automatically cancel the sale for 11 days. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the second time she purchased them and didn't pay for them right away, eBay canceled them within four days again and relisted. And sometimes the relist doesn't work. So I've got <laughs> things all over the place. I have the jewelry boxes that I keep the jewelry in on my desk for two weeks because I keep thinking this is going to happen. Anyway, it finally... I. The third time I asked her to please pay for it as soon as possible so it didn't happen again. And she did, and I mailed out the six or seven items together to her. Uh, but all this havoc it was caused by the automated system canceling my items. If, if you don't have that setting, you need to be diligent and go in yourself and cancel the sale so that you're not charged the final value fee. Gotcha. I don't, it doesn't happen to me from a selling point of view because I don't do auctions, I don't do best offers, and everything is immediate payment. So I, I don't have that problem. But I, I do, I mean, as an arbitrager, someone who, who buys low and sells high on eBay, I do my fair share of buying. And I just find that the automatic UPI thing annoying, counterproductive from the seller's point of view. And most people have it set wrong, in my opinion. I think the automation can be set at two, four, five, and then a bunch of other dates, seven and beyond that, various other numbers beyond that. And from a buyer's point of view, 
I think two days is really sharp practice because you could buy on a Friday yeah. afternoon and Sunday you, you've lost it. And, the, you know, how does that help anybody? I mean, I mean, I know that we work seven by 24, but but other people don't and would expect to be able to pay on Monday for something they bought on Friday. So two is way too, way too short. I think four is too short, not because it's an unreasonable number, but in many cases, the sellers themselves can't respond to all the issues that a buyer might want to try and work out with them within four days, particularly with weekends involved. Oftentimes, I'm buying from someone, I'll win something at an auction, and then to me, that's an opportunity to have a conversation about some other stuff I might want to buy or other way, could I buy some extra ones and maybe we could do a volume deal? You know, lots of things like that, that it opens the door to a conversation that's in both parties' interest to conclude. And, you know, the, the, quite often a, a seller doesn't get around to responding to that within the four days. And I can say with confidence, I have never not paid for an item through any intention on my part. If I if I bid and win, I want that item. It's good. it's making me money for my business. You know, I'm the last person who wants to cancel it. Um, I do want to work out some details sometimes. So I, I think that most many 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 sellers struggle to get all that stuff sorted out in four days, particularly over a weekend. So I think four is the wrong number. I think maybe if you do automate, and as you say, it's important that you do catch these things. Otherwise, you're going to pay final value fees on stuff that doesn't actually uh, doesn't actually sell. I think seven days is a good good number for the automation. If you need to do it sooner, you always can manually do it, but it gives you room and doesn't involve the buyer in some messiness that you create because. You know, I've had this situation where I've said to a, a seller, I, I, you know, can we work out something? He says, yeah, sure. Anytime the next week, let's work out. You figure out what you want. And I got day four, I get your order's been cancelled. And by the way, you've got a you've got an unpaid item strike, which now makes my account in, ineligible to bid on other people's items because they have that filter set. And it's just a pain to have to then go onto eBay to phone and get them to take it off. And then, by the way, they can't do that at the first point of interest. They have to create a ticket, and you know, it's just it's just horrible. Oh, I forgot that they get an unpaid item strike. And yeah, if they deserve it, I, I, it's okay. But I'm actually trying to spend more money and you're blocking me and it's not in your interests. And, you know, people, uh, you know, and I understand everyone wants to get paid, but really four days is how much money is that going to earn you in interest if you put took the item and put the money in the bank for four days? Is it going to make a difference to you? I don't think so financially. And it's just, you know, people get so uptight about it. And actually, it's one of the strengths of eBay that that people are individuals and you can discuss things with them, you can work out things, and you're throwing that away for probably 0.001 you know, cents worth of, of interest that you would have made on the amount if you put it in the bank on deposit. So I feel that uh, as sellers, as a community, you kind of lost our way a bit on this one. And we get so excited about, you know, dealing with, you know, deadbeat buyers after two days and getting rid of them. I, I just think you're looking at it through the wrong end of the telescope as, as a buyer, from a buyer's point of view. Um, if you do want to leave it at four days, okay. But remember, you can put an exemption list. There is an exemption list. And you can put seller IDs onto the exemption list. Oh, yes. I and then, about that. And then they won't be affected by the automated system. You can handle that manually. Now, if you're smart enough to keep on track I of that, done that, that's another way of doing it. So it can be managed. It's just most people just don't do a very good job of it. And that's why it gets messy. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm in favor of, of giving people time 
Um, let them let them work through with you other ways they can make you rich. And yeah, by all means, have a seven day cut off and say at that point, you know, it's not going to happen. I'll I'll relist. But that's that's my thinking on that. I know why I I couldn't find the exemption list in the past. I just know there was an option um, to bypass the automated unpaid item on that transaction right there Mm -hmm. in your awaiting payment screen. And I looked for that and couldn't find it and thought it was no longer available. But later when I did find the account settings where I could set, change the days that it eBay automatically opens it, they had the exemption list there. Mm -hmm. But just so you know, even though I've been selling on eBay since 2006, I couldn't find it at first because it used to be right there in awaiting payment. Yeah. It's, that I, was a better it, place it, to have it. It's hidden away somewhere on seller preferences, I think. Yes, it was better having it right next to the transaction. Just bypass the automated thing for this transaction. And, and as a buyer, there's perfectly good reasons why I might just want to hold up payment for a couple of days. Maybe I'm going to be away. And the last thing I want is the item sitting on my doorstep getting rained on, which is probably risking making a dispute with you as a seller. Far better, I wait a couple of days and make sure I'm around when it gets delivered. That's in your interests as well. Um, you know, or maybe, you know, I'm going to wait for a credit card, you know, period to cycle and then I get more money to spend. You know, that's my business. And, you know, I don't need to involve you in that. Just let me let me manage my own financial affairs. You know, sending me harassing notes saying, when are you going to pay? And I'm going to cancel this if you don't pay money is, is just unhelpful. It just makes a bad buying experience and ultimately ends up working its way into your DSR sooner or later, which I don't think you want. Anyway, enough uh, enough rambling from me, enough renting. If you, of course, disagree, we, I'm at, you're more than welcome to participate if you disagree. That would be uh, that would be uh, entertaining to hear alternative viewpoints again, 833-EBAY-723 if you want to do that. Uh, let's just look at what's happening uh, in the next uh, few days, Sherry. Uh, end of year yes. matters. File your tax certificates with eBay so you can get your eBay tax exemption on your purchases in 2023. Which is a good thing to do. Your sales and, tax. Did I say eBay tax? Yeah, get your sales tax take, taken off. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be very busy, the people doing that work in a few days' time. So uh, now would be a very good time to file that. Just Google it and it'll come up with a link for you. And uh, also the eBay um, podcast. Yes, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, do recommend that maybe you take a listen to that this week. It's, it's, a, it's a worthy listen. Just trying to find where my closing music is. There you go. This looks like it. I think I moved the buttons around and I've forgotten where I put everything. <laughs> and that's about it for this week's edition of the uh, Selling on eBay radio show. Again, if you want to take part, we're getting some good response back. So this is nice now as people chip in their ideas and uh, volunteer, to volunteer to be part of things. Uh, yes, and teach me how to be more efficient. Yes, Sherry's uh, on a very steep learning curve here, but you can help her. Uh, so that you can get in touch with us. You can see actually what we do in terms of our own stores at our website. That's sell, sell, sell dot online, sell, sell, sell dot online. And again, the phone number to take part is one eight three three eBay seven twenty three. And with that, this is Philip Jackson saying, "Hey, thanks very much indeed for joining us for this week's edition of the Selling on eBay Radio Show." Have a great week. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>